0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Colin Ellis. Welcome to our show on Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. Racist stereotypes about indigenous people are sadly a reality many of us have come to accept here in Canada. Whether it's from a close friend who just doesn't seem to know when to shut up, or a family member whose only job seems to be making Thanksgiving dinner awkward, they believe stereotypes as truth, caricatures as reality. The point is, we all know that person. If you don't know that person, then here's a wake-up call to what some Canadians think. I'm just gonna warn you that this episode uses some audio clips with racist language that may be emotionally triggering, so listener discretion is advised. For example, have you ever heard someone talk about indigenous people like this?
2: I think of alcoholism, I think drug abuse, a whole bunch of partying and blob houses.
1: They just always get money and handouts. How are they the worst off when they're given so much? We are being made to pay for something that we didn't do.
2: There are big numbers of people in Canada who think this stuff and say this stuff. And I think that there is a general sense of disbelief when you first see it on TV. You know, the dirty secret of total racism in Canada.
1: That's Vanessa Lowen. She and Stephanie Scott are the executive producers of First Contact. This show puts six non-Indigenous people into Indigenous communities to change their perspectives. Think myth busters, but where stereotypes are what's getting busted. Vanessa and Stephanie both happen to be indigenous. Vanessa is Metis, and Stephanie is Anishinaabe. Guiding them through every leg of the journey are the First Nations, Metis, and Inuit people who stepped up to take part in the show.
0: People were really, really open. To providing education they felt it was important so when you told them what what the premise was they were like yeah absolutely I'm ready for this and you know so you're bringing six racist people into my community I'm happy to educate
1: <laughs> the show's participants step onto a pathway towards enlightenment but as we find out you can't always change everyone's minds well, Stephanie, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Vanessa, I always like to start uh, by asking uh, about the title of the film that uh, uh, we're talking about. And I just wonder if you could discuss how how the title First Contact came to you.
2: Well, um, our show is based on an Australian format. So um, the folks in Australia, when they developed the show, it came out of a study that was released that only one in six Australians of European descent have contact with Indigenous people. So based on the idea that one in six have contact with Indigenous people, they wanted to create an opportunity for first contact sort of for the masses, right? When I saw the Australian version, um, someone that I knew sent me the trailer and was obviously very excited about it. And I saw it and got very excited and decided to go after the format. So obviously, regardless of our stats might not be quite the same in Canada, um, in terms of those numbers, but I felt that the title was still relevant.
1: Vanessa, can you just describe um, the premise of the show?
2: We've taken six non-Indigenous Canadians with very strong opinions and views of the Indigenous community, and we've taken them on a 28-day journey um, through lots of different communities, urban and rural communities, to meet Indigenous people and talk about their life experiences.
1: Uh, So you've brought it to Canada. Why did you think Canada needed a version of this, Stephanie?
0: Well, I think, you know, I've grown up in this um, country as a, a brown-skinned indigenous woman. Um, I've faced racism often. Um, I know it exists. I think that it's extremely important, important to bring the two communities together uh, for educational purposes. I think it's important that people sit together, talk, learn, um, even share a meal, you know, and, and the dialogue that comes out of that is often friendly, You learn a little bit about each other and understand that there are similarities in each human and you know that it's you can relate that way.
1: Hmm. And so you chose six people. Uh, Their names are Ashley, Ross, Jamie Sue, Dallas, Avonlea and Don. Three men, three women. Uh, They're all white. And um, how did you go about finding them?
0: There was a we put it online and we worked with a casting agent. So um, we had a call. We received hundreds of Applicants, um so we had a large number to choose from, and then we kind of edited them down into a, a group between it got smaller and smaller as we went like fifty to twenty t- to a final ten and uh, we looked at different personalities, the ability to learn, listen, grow, um, fully engage themselves in the communities as well
2: and also um with the ability to learn and grow, we also wanted people who weren't afraid to share their opinions. they had to be willing to talk about their, um, I guess, their ignorance, so to speak, Um, willing to discuss that and engage and be open.
1: Was it a conscious decision that they all be white?
2: Um, I think that we we saw the value in having different groups, um, potentially. Um, There's an interesting dynamic with racism that's um, towards the Indigenous community from like New Canadians sometimes and other groups like that. So we were open to other groups.
0: There there were applicants that came from, yeah. you know, newcomer community. And then when we got to the certain point where we announced that, you know, they were in, in the final group that, you know, once they knew what it was about, were reluctant to participate. So that kind of... yes limited our ability to include others as well.
1: And in the start of the series, I mean, you know, we see them, they all have some pretty abhorrent views uh, of Indigenous people and it started to make me wonder if their views weren't closer to the mainstream of Canadian opinion than we'd like to think. What do you think of that?
2: Oh, their views were absolutely in line with the majority of Canada. Yeah. I mean 100%. That's why we made the show because I don't think... I mean, obviously, as a fair-skinned person, and you know, I have not experienced indigenous um, racism in the same way as other indigenous people in my community. But I am someone of you know, with Métis ancestry, and I'm very connected to my community. And and um, so we all live this in some way or another um, all the time. Some obviously to more of an extreme mm-hmm. than others, but it's constant and so yeah they are absolutely in line with what the experience is
0: yeah yeah no it absolutely is um in line i mean you know i I walk through winnipeg often one of the most racist cities in this country and you know we're exposed often as indigenous peoples to racism and and stereotypes go shopping you know i'm followed in the shopping store Um, You know, I go into a restaurant, either I'm not served or I'm asked to pay for my meal midway, different things like this. I've even had trouble renting apartments prior to being a homeowner in in the city. You know, they just, I've shown up and I said, sorry, it's been rented. So it's been difficult. And you hear those kind of comments often, you know, you hear the whispers. So when that group of participants wanted and were willing to, to share those ideas and thoughts on camera, you know, I was kind of blown away by that. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we, I think we all know someone who's uh, like that, maybe in our family or in our friend circle or someone at work who, has, who says something ignorant about indigenous people. And you like to think that, well, I'm not like that and Canada is not like that, but it's just this person. But I guess, I mean, what I, th- I think what was interesting about your show is that, you know, because these folks are all coming from different generations, uh, it's really widespread, you know, just who, who does have racist views. Um, I wanna speak about, just talk about two of them in particular, Ross and Don. Ross is a married father of three in Edmonton. He takes great pride in his home. I got nominated for enhancing our vibrant community for Edmonton. But his views on First Nations people are pretty. You ever have a, the nicest looking Indian reserve in Canada? They ever had that contest? Oh my God, they'd be, they'd be fighting for last place. Don is a trucker from Ardrossen, Alberta. He makes no bones about his feelings towards Indigenous people. Let's call it my unity shirt. <laughs> the, the letters mean assimilate or leave. Fit in or off. They seem to be the most stubborn in their beliefs. What, what did you make of that?
2: Possibly generational... I think that would be what I would maybe say. I, I don't know why they... I I don't know. I yeah. mean... I think that
0: one of the things is it definitely was generational because you see the change with the other group of, of them. I think that, um, you know, we went for dinner with them. And you know how people would be willing to share their ideas and thoughts on camera. And then when we sat with them, what was interesting was that they still hadn't changed, really. Mm -hmm. You know, and and the things that were coming out of their mouths were still the same, and they have absolutely no idea that what they were saying was wrong. And, you know, we were sitting really closely with them, and that, that was difficult, and you had hoped that they would learn more and move on and move forward but they didn't so i brought them a a set of books to read you know hoping that maybe they'll pick them up and be educated by Mm. that just like slid them across the table this is for you you really need to read this so
1: yeah well yeah it seemed like uh like ashley and uh, dallas it seemed like their capacity for empathy was a bit stronger perhaps Watching the show, I saw that some characters had a greater sense of empathy than others. But for the first time on the journey, Dallas doesn't align with Ross and Don's way of thinking. There's there's a huge debt owed to these people regardless. They were treated unfairly from the word go, if you ask me. Well, I don't know, I don't know. My generation, which is 50 years old, my generation never went to residential schools. 50 or 100 years from now, Oh, my great-great-grandpa was in residential school, I'm an out, I'm a, a you know, No, 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 no. That's what I'm this, saying. This is what we're dealing with today. There's a, Whatever's happened with Native kids, it's happened with white kids, too. Yeah. It's nothing different. I, I think so, too. I asked the show's producers if they thought empathy was a factor in people changing their minds. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, You don't
2: enter into a show like this lightly, um, especially as Indigenous women and Indigenous producers. We don't want to bring that kind of trauma back to ourselves, to the community, to um, the Indigenous hosts who participated with us, to the Mm -hmm. viewers. Um, We obviously did this with a great sense of responsibility, and with that responsibility came the absolute hope for the best outcome. And the out- best outcome was that those three gals in Dallas have been fundamentally changed as people. Yeah. And um, as someone back in Winnipeg said at one of our, well, I mean, this is a common phrase, but you don't know what you don't know. But then once you know it, like you can't unknow it. You know what I mean? They can't, and I think that that's what, when Stephanie's talking about the dinner we had where we both sort of just left like, wow, this is still <laughs> a thing. Um That's what's baffling. Because you could say a year ago that you didn't know, but now we know you know. And you're still perpetuating these ideas. And we've literally shown you in a way that has never been done before in such a bold way. 28 days with these families and these people and these issues and these experiences, and you still haven't changed. It's You know, it's disheartening, but I do think it was important, perhaps, that they didn't change because the reality is not everyone's going to change.
1: Do they say, Stephanie, why they won't change their their minds at all after being presented with all this evidence and these families? They were
0: still skeptical. I mean, you know, I think that they really did not believe that certain parts of their journey were true real i think that they didn't have that ability to connect emotionally and and move forward and and learn from some of the richness of those communities like they just did not see it Hmm. and you know you can't you can't change that and that's unfortunate and i think as vanessa says that's the reality not everyone is going to change
1: well so let's talk a bit about the communities that they, they visited and i mean you went all over i mean muskrat dam in northern ontario uh uh I want to say the name right. Uh, Kimirut, Kim-a-root, Kimirut, and yeah. in uh Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary. I mean, you're all, all over Canada, basically. Um, what was it like pitching this show to the communities you visited? How did that process go, Vanessa? Or Stephanie?
0: Well, there was, there was a couple of things that we had done. Like earlier on, we had a researcher and, and we developed it. And reaching out to the communities was not that big of a, a challenge. I think that the only time that we were ever turned down was when it was difficult to bring a crew of 17 people into a community that didn't necessarily have the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing in people, you need to feed them, house them, right? So if there's difficulty within a community low housing, like that was the only challenge. I think that people were really, really open to providing education. They felt it was important. So when you told them what what the premise was, they were like, yeah, absolutely, I'm ready for this. And, you know, so you're bringing six racist people into my community, I'm happy to educate. (laughs) How
2: was a treaty developed? We have no idea, that's why we're here in front of you. It's between (laughs) two sovereign nations. Once Canada was formed, the Queen gave over the
1: power of authority to the Canadian government and the responsibility to uphold those treaty promises.
2: And one of those treaty promises, well, you'll never be able to give back. Anything below a depth of a plow belonged to First Nations people. One of the jobs, one of Steph and myself's big jobs was to construct and story edit after the fact and make sure that things stayed sort of in line with sensibilities that we wanted to portray. And I don't know, but I do know that when we got our cuts to review, every cut was about six hours. So we watched about 18 hours of footage just ourselves.
1: What did you think when you were watching it? What went through your mind?
2: Well, like at first it's like, this isn't surprising. This is what we expected. This is what, and then as time goes on. It's just like, there is trauma with exposure too, you know, like you, in day-to-day life, maybe something happens and then you move on and whatever. But like the constant, the constant listening and the constant, yeah, that was tiring. But no, I mean, I thought, you know what I thought? When we had, when I had those moments of total despair and dismay the people from our community who were so gracious and dignified and had such open hearts to listen to this in person and then to always engage with respect for their fellow human beings and to offer insight into things that were so painful for them. Um, that that grace, that it was their grace and dignity and kindness and love that made me feel rejuvenated to get up the next day and do it again. Because that sense of pride that you have was so strong. So that's a, that was what I thought.
1: Have you heard from the uh, Indigenous participants and what they, what their thoughts are on this?
0: Yeah, everyone uh, was followed up because we felt it was extremely important to check back in on them in the community. We let them know that the trailer was happening. Um, when the show was airing, you know, people thought, still feel that it's important to, to bring the two communities together to talk about reconciliation and, and their importance in it. No one has gotten back to us to say that it was a, a terrible experience. So, mm. you know... I think that they really felt that it was important to educate, and, and that's what they stood by. So,
1: hmm. you know, um, I want to talk a bit about the uh, outside of the uh, uh, people who participated in the film, people who are watching at home. Um, what did you kind of hope the reaction would be from not just uh, indigenous communities, but also non-indigenous communities?
0: Well. I think, uh, you know what, I'm going to start with the trailer, because one of the things that was really fascinating to me, because in the past, I've had work that, you know, hasn't gone, hasn't moved this well. So we started out, the trailer hit 10,000, 100,000, 500,000, a million, and then 2 million, over 2 million views. And, you know... I was blown away by that. I was moved by that. I thought, wow, finally somebody is watching and going to pay attention to to the stories of our people. And we had all messaged each other and everybody had moments of, of crying at some point because it was so emotionally moving that all of that work and effort had actually resulted in people watching and paying attention.
1: And, and, and you're in a, I guess, in a pretty tough position because on the one hand, you're trying to have this you know, important dialogue and and use this as a teaching tool. But it's also got to be kind of entertaining, right? Because it's, you know, it's going to be on TV. People presumably are watching it uh, for those reasons as well. How do you kind of walk that line responsibly?
2: Ultimately, there are big numbers of people in Canada who think this stuff and say this stuff. And I think that there is a general sense of disbelief when you first see it on TV and that there's something entertaining about that. Entertaining mm. sounds belittling to something that like that's not the right word to use, but it's a bit of a car crash mentality maybe or something like people who think those things and people who don't think those things would have seen that trailer. And it was the same thing in Australia where, I mean, when I saw it, I was like, finally, finally. We're going to address this. People from a different perspective might think, whoa, I can't believe these people are actually airing our dirty secret on TV. You know, the dirty secret of total racism in Canada. Um, And so that is unfortunately where the entertainment, quote unquote, came from, because jaws dropped, I'm sure. They were like, whoa, you're exposing us for." these things that we've been perpetuating for generations and generations and generations. So it didn't have the same entertainment value as like, you know, other like Big Brother or Amazing Race Canada or anything. But it had kind of maybe, I hate to say it, but maybe a shock value or something. It's like, I don't know how to phrase it right. But, but
1: I feel like it's kind of like, like Anthony Verdain, you know, like, mm-hmm. like those kind of docu-reality shows that, you know, are trying to really... Uh, explore a, a people or a community, a culture uh, and, and you know obviously I guess there are entertaining elements to it, but um, I feel like it is trying to educate people about a larger issue. That was what I took away from it.
2: And I feel like as a television producer and as an Indigenous television producer, we spend a lot of time trying to get people to watch what we're creating. Like, we don't want to always just be creating for the community. We want to be creating for all Canadians because we have something to say and we have perspectives to to put out there. And, you know, I've been in this business for... 20 plus years now. And it's so hard to get people to pay attention to the awesome things that we're doing. And I used to say, we have to trick people into watching our shows. We got to get them and trick them into watching a show that is featuring brown folks, like literally that simple. People say, oh, we want to see ourselves reflected. That's not true. You just want to be told a story. You just tend to not tune in if you don't physically see yourself reflected, you know, so I think from a television pr- producer perspective, there was this sense of tricking people in to tuning in to watch this. And if we had to trick them into it by throwing a little bit of sensationalism out there, I mean, it's not sensationalism, it's life, but that's that whole other thing, to get people to tune in, um, then that's okay, because at least we got people to, t- to turn the channel and, and then we tricked them into maybe learning a little something.
1: Um, we interviewed a filmmaker named Dia Han. Uh, She's a woman of color. She did a film called White Right, Meeting the Enemy, which is about uh, her having uh, very uncomfortable conversations with members of the white power movement in the United States and essentially just asking them things like, how can you hate me when you don't know me? She manages to change the minds of a few of these gentlemen, actually. A few of them have left the movement. And it just made me wonder, this approach to, you know, of talking to racists... To what extent do you think that strategy is a, a good way to com- combat racism? Stephanie, I wonder if you have any thoughts on that.
0: You know, I don't want to simplify it, but I think that anytime that you're going to have an intimate conversation or dialogue with someone, you know, there are instances of, of connecting. We're all human, we all have struggles, we all have challenges um, in our communities, and both communities are stories of addiction. You know, we've been colonized, but we're still resilient and we're powerful. And and I think that that's really important to show and highlight because, you know, we're not all bad. And, and what people see or may see in the streets are not the people. That person that may be out there has a story, you know, and, and when they learn that, and that was the hope in, in regard to education and, and
1: talking to racists. You got people talking, right? Is that how you feel or...?
2: Oh, my God. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, that's where the social media numbers come in. Like Steph said, like, yeah, we had lots of time of being scared. And then as that trailer came out and those numbers continued to grow and we could see the comments coming in both positive and negative comments of course but knowing that those comments were perpetuating dialogue and those numbers were climbing and climbing and yeah as we approached a million and and more there were like tears maybe of relief maybe of you know yeah. just like feeling yeah we this is great we needed to start this dialogue and i think that 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 if that's the success that's the only success that we wanted
1: do you think or do you hope that it will have it will cause white people to have conversations about racism with other white people. That's something I hear a lot more these days is white people need to confront other white people about racism and not just put the onus on indigenous people or people of color to always educate. It's it's up to white people to do the same.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? Some of the LGs have held screenings in regard to bringing in that community of business people and white person speaking to white person to share and discuss that story. So, you know, that that's a blessing. Mm.
1: Um, we have to wrap up our conversation soon, but I, I, I want to ask you about you know the word reconciliation uh, it's It's become a lot more popular to, uh, in the last few years to talk about rec- reconciliation. The current federal government is very committed to it or at least rhetorically speaking. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering what you think it means. Maybe Vanessa could start with you.. Let's start with
0: oh my gosh (laughs) 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 oh my gosh okay reconciliation is definitely a big word um you know in in some indigenous languages there's not even a word for reconciliation um one of my elders on the west coast told me what it means to him from his perspective is to fix it Hmm. and he i don't i can't say how he pronounced it in the language, but it's to fix it, you know, so to correct those past harms. I think, you know, we're going into a federal election. So the TRC issued 94 calls to action. I think what people should do is take a look at that list and and see what has been done and what hasn't been done. I mean, they've said they've made a commitment, but how far really have we come in those years, you know? Mm. I mean, we are voters. Hold them accountable. Make that change and be responsible individually. Start something. Go to the library. Read a book about Indigenous issues. Call the Friendship Center. Go down and check out a bingo or a powwow, you know, and and just connect. Hmm. But yeah, hold your your government accountable to reconciliation and and learn
2: from from that.
1: Do you feel like uh, First Contact is contributing to that process of reconciliation?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we didn't, I don't know if, like, I would have articulated it that way for in 2014, was it, when I saw the trailer originally? About four years ago. I don't think that's how I would have articulated it. Um, For me, it was more, like, guttural for just a sense of being, like, yeah, for my life and for my lives of my loved ones and stuff. But now, with everything that's happened in the four years since we worked on the project and the release of the recommendations and... um, the things we we see in the news that, that that as we geared up and got closer and closer to the release um there was a clear sense that like holy crow it was time like the timing was pretty crazy to know that we worked on it for so many years and then right when it was going to be released it did feel a little bit like it's part of a culmination hmm. of things that word reconciliation only started to become a buzzword in the last couple of years for sure that's not the way that i think we really talked before um and so, so yeah, now I would say absolutely. And, and I I carry a lot of pride that to have contributed that along with Stephanie and Jeff and Jocelyn and, De, you know, our team, like we, we should be so proud of ourselves. And I think that we are that we were able to contribute that. But it it wasn't necessarily expected. It. it
0: wasn't like, at all, you know, like back then, wasn't. because I was working at the, the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission at that time, and that didn't even enter our yeah. conversation, I don't think. It was important, no. like, just the educational aspect and learning and bringing mm-hmm. these two communities together. But yeah, but... You know, it's become that, and, and that's what's happening in Canada right now. And, and, you know, we've created a heck of a dialogue, and, and on both sides, good and bad, and even the criticisms of the show have created a dialogue within. So I'm super proud and happy of that.
1: There's going to be a second season, right? Yes. That's in the that works. I mean, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but I'm wondering if the experience of making the first season uh, and the criticism and the reception that it's received, to what extent does it inform the next season? If you can talk about that at all.
0: I don't know like uh, well, you know we've we've shot a second season, um, it's gonna be a little different. You try to advance the storytelling. There are again, some very strong indigenous peoples across the country that. 100% bought into to educating. So, you know, we don't want to give away anything. We want you to watch <laughs> season two and, and season one for sure, but uh, you know, I don't know, Vanessa.
2: Yeah, I think it didn't, there was no experience, if that's what you mean, that, ha- that came out of season one or anything that informed and made us change anything from season two. I mean, we were pretty happy with the results of season one, and we just really wanted to do it again. We just felt like there's, you know, there's so many stories to be told. Like, I feel like I hear a lot about um, people say, oh, we've heard this for so long. We've heard about, you know, these issues that you have and whatever. And I just feel like there are so many things that we can be talking about. There are so many, there's so much to cover that we should do it again. Um, It's not all, it's not all the same story, you know, like we have, so we went to different places. We talked about different things this year. Those are the only things that are different, Um, but we want to show how, the wide breadth that you know experiences across the country and how different they are and that everybody's voice is relevant and so we just
1: yeah any air, an air date yet
2: it'll be like the same timeline so we'll be editing through the winter and then probably it'll premiere i would imagine next fall i don't know but i would imagine that's well, what the broadcasters will do
1: uh, i really look forward to watching that and i want to thank you both for joining me today
0: thank you so much thank you
1: And that's the podcast. You can watch First Contact on APTN right now and on TVO in 2019. Thanks to all of you who have tweeted about the show or given us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please continue to do that. It helps get the word out about the show. Want to get in touch? Write us at ondocs at TVO.org or follow me on Twitter at Colin Ellis 81. Special thanks this week to all of our listeners who have sent in suggestions like Maureen Spencer, who wrote to us about adding a download function on our website. You can now download episodes of OnDocs when you visit tvo.org forward slash OnDocs. That's tvo.org forward slash OnDocs. Thanks to producers Chantel Berganza and Matthew O'Mara, and production support coordinator Caitlin Plummer. Our podcast manager is Hannah Sung. Big thanks to all the people at TVO behind the scenes who make this show possible, like our product manager Christian Manko, who oversees all our podcast metrics. We'll catch you at the next screening.